All right. Wow. Oh, my goodness. It feels like a long time in the making now, doesn't it? It's been a while. I'm glad we're doing this. It has been. I mean, you know, I guess we'll start with introductions. My name's Connor. Um, I've been with FCG now uh, since July of last year. Uh, I got pulled in during COVID. Um, I've been with them now for about a year. Uh, my background personally as a player is uh, I've been, uh, I guess I born in Seattle. I uh, grew up in Australia and then moved back here to start college. I uh, got recruited on a whim to play D1. Um, played with them for two years and then transferred out because of COVID. Um, played D2 for a year and currently in between schools. Um, but fiercely love the game of golf. It's just one of the best sports on the planet. And for me, just wanting to help the next generation of players, and I guess our podcast is going to try our best to do that because, you know, for me personally as a player, I felt like growing up as a junior, I didn't have anywhere to turn to for advice or, you know, people who knew or had experience in that realm. And it just felt like, you know, do I get my stock NCSA profile? You know, do I fork out the thousand dollars or so to do it? Do I do everything myself? Well, what do coaches want to see? Well, what do they want to see in players? You know, now that I've made that journey, it's I kind of know what I'm doing and I can, you know, and of course, Chris, you know, you and I can help in any way we can to really do that. But that's kind of my background as a player and I think why we are starting this podcast um, as a whole. So, yeah, I mean, it's been great having you. First of all, your passion for golf is shows tremendously in everything that you do with us. So. We love having you, and uh, I'm very excited to do this podcast and help more people with their golf journey, and especially the college uh, golf stuff, as you know, parents and players are often confused on, on how it works, and it's much easier than most people really think, and most people get led down some, some rabbit holes that they don't really need to do, so hopefully during these podcasts, we're able to help educate and get people excited about making the journey a little more simple. Right. So let's start, I guess, with FCG's history. When were we founded? Because I don't even know the, the answer to this <laughs> yeah, question. Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess, why did you guys decide to found this company? And I guess, what is our vision as a company moving forward? Yeah. Um, so started in 2004. Um, in the middle of 2003, we, I was teaching golf at the Stadium Golf Center, just kind of part-time doing the group classes. and. Remember one of the parents said, hey, you know, junior programs out here back in Arkansas, or that's where he's from, um, said that they had a really good junior program. I'm like, oh, I, I can do it. I'm enjoying this. I like, I like helping kids, and this is fun. Um, so I started writing out, like, a group instruction program called Beach Champions Golf, and spent about five months writing it and trying to figure out how we're going to do it and launch it in January of 2004. Um, before that, though, I do have to tell a quick story. I started the high school development program. So excited about it. It was going to be a six-week class right before high school golf to help like, beginner intermediates make their high school team. I'm so excited. I spent so much time on it. I emailed every uh, high school coach I could find in San Diego. <laughs> and I got one kid to sign up. And the poor kid didn't even make his high school team. So it was a uh... complete 
complete disaster. I learned quickly that, unfortunately, the high school coaches don't didn't really want to help me. didn't really want to help me. They kind of want to do their own thing, which is totally fine. I didn't have any proven track record of helping anybody. I just played at a pretty high level of golf and really wanted to help kids, but it, I didn't get the message out and it didn't, didn't come across. So then right in the future champions program, uh, glad it all worked out. Um, did it because of, of that initial story. And then I ran the instruction program. It got really big, very popular. I had over 100 kids a week taking, taking group and private lessons with me. And then for another couple of years, we got to 2007 and was just getting feedback on some of the tours. There wasn't enough tournaments offered. Price was too much. Quality wasn't that great in certain, certain events. So I teamed up with Antron and said, hey, do you want to host tournaments? Uh, I think we could do something pretty special. End of 07, we hosted our, our first event, Carlton Oaks. Another funny story, worst worst tournament ever, ever hosted in junior golf. And we're, we're fortunate we got 120 kids to sign up for our very first two-day uh, ranked event, but we had not enough staff. We had conditions, course conditions weren't great. Then we had frost one day and rain the next day. <laughs> Kids didn't finish. Like to be honest, like the fact that we posted thousands of tournaments now and just continue to get better, that was a really perfect learning learning opportunity. And I'm surprised anybody came back. But, but. we really have come a long way from that fateful day in 07. And to think, you know, just the history of it all. And you know, I was only seven years old at the time. And if I'd been here in San Diego, I might have been at the the completely the the first. FCG event and you know to think now that here we are 15 years down the road we're very thankful that you guys were able to get boots on the ground and even though you know and that's part of golf is you fail and you learn and you know that's all of us here as golfers I mean we're playing a we're playing we're trying to play an imperfect game perfectly you know golf is all about you know how do you manage the worst of conditions because i'm sure those kids were thinking the same thing they're like what in the world are we doing out here in the frost you know at carlton oaks which in its heyday was a brutality of a golf course you just you know i i remember walking off that golf course with a 74 and just you know pumping my fist and celebrating because of how tough that course is and you know to play it in the frost and the rain i mean i can think of so many stories of us playing or even me working tournaments you know frost lays out of temecula creek you know we had to pull everybody off of the golf course at rancho bernardo in because it started thunderstorming on a perfectly clear day 20 minutes you know and that's one of the unpredictability factors for golf that i just love and, and adore and i think that's why part of the reason why we all get into it and play it um so i guess my next question is you know where do you see futures in five ten 15 years like what's your ultimate goal for this company and where do we keep delivering on that you know on our mission ethos yeah so i mean initially you know we just wanted to host you know one two-day event a month you know now we've grown to over 100 events a year and three of the largest tournaments in the world and um i think with the way we do things and the people behind what we're doing um I think we can we can take this thing, you know, more globally than it already is. Um, you know, with the World Championship this year, I had 680 kids from about 40 countries. 
uh, we're expanding that next year to 14 courses and almost 900 kids, uh, plus countries. Um, so I think in terms of our framework, you know, we want to add qualifying events throughout the entire USA. Um, we don't want to flood and go everywhere. We want to we want to be welcome where we go. And we want to help the local community and just create really fun, very exciting series that all comes together with a couple of events. So the world championship being the, the big one to try to get to, but, you know, with the international having 40 plus college coaches each year, that's an open event anybody can sign up for. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one valuable as well. Get, to sign get that much exposure to college coaches. So I think with that and uh, our programs in Asia, um, we have a new partnership with Mexico that we're going to develop. You know, three to five event series there. Uh, great partnership with Canada. I think we're really well positioned to do a lot of really fun stuff in the game. We wouldn't want to play a global junior golf tour that's fun and exciting and get you to the get you to the next level. So I think it's a cool way to grow up. Yeah. Exactly, and you know I think part of everybody is set on this mindset of um, you know I have to play in particular tournaments in order to get into college or get noticed. And I think you know growing up doing that. I mean I never played in an FTG or an AJGA or an SCPGA or a Toyota Tour Cup even because. I was in Australia. We had, you know, we had one big national tour that encompassed the entirety of Australia. And if you wanted to play, you were traveling four, five, six, seven hours. And so, you know, all the tournaments I played growing up were our club championships. It was, you know, we had our weekly stable for competitions. For all, for all of you, like I'm Americans out there, stable for does exist. I promise it is a, um, the best, the, if you're playing to your handicap, you have 36 points. Uh, I know that sounds confusing, but if you can play to your handicap per hole, you get two, two strokes. But before I get into a, a wild tangent, that, so we had weekly stable for competitions, and I would play in those, and that would, that would be my method of getting better. But it wasn't, you know, I didn't have the competition. I mean, my graduating class was 52. I, had, I was the only person on my golf team. Um, we didn't have a golf. I was the golf team yeah. in in that regard. We had one good year where we had three kids, uh, and then one of them dropped out, and one of them moved across the country. And it was me, and I was you know repping the flag um, for us at the at the golf tournaments. And but um, you know I think part of growing into that and becoming a better golfer, and you know on that on that tack of getting noticed by college coaches and it's you have to develop that fighting competitive spirit you know i in talking to a lot of coaches and being with my coaches as well it's a lot of them just want to see you fight they want to see you grit out and really bear down and when the going gets tough the tough get going and you know they want to see you they want to see you be six over through nine you know, and they want to see you be three over with, you know, by the time you finish, even when there's nothing to, to gain, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, and a lot of our kids can't, it happens, you know, you have a double on two, you, you, you know, like you walk it off, you make par par, and then all of a sudden you hit one OB and you're back to square two and you're sitting there and you're having to fight this battle where you're like, I have no chance of winning right now, but where does that fight come from? Do you just you have a choice to make at that point. Do you throw in the towel 
you call it a day and you go, that's okay. I'm not really interested in fighting anymore. I'm, I, I'm not going to win, throw my hands up and just call it a day. Or do you find in the last nine holes, are you like, I'm going to try to go sub 30 or I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to break par, you know, I'm just, I'm going to try to hit every green and it's setting these goals that are realistic, but you're still pushing yourself during the round. Cause obviously each round comes and goes in waves, you know, I, and I can't tell you how many collegiate events you don't need to look at my collegiate track record. It's not great, but you know, I've started many a tournament with a double or a quad and it's, you know, it happens. Like we, we, there's one tournament that comes to mind where we were shotgunning, uh, we had a shotgun start in Houston and it was six thirty in the morning and it was 40 degrees with a 20 mile an hour wind chill. And my starting hole was a 200 yard par three with an Island green. And I plonked three in the water and started out with an eight and I shot 76 that day. And it's, but it's, that's, you know, when, when you talk about collegiate coaches and what they want to see, it's, it's, it's the grittiness. It's the, you know, you're never going to throw in the towel, even if it seems hopeless. And sometimes it does seem hopeless. I, I mean, I'm sure you've had your love streaks with golf and your rough streaks. I mean, I gave up the game for a year too. You know, I turned 14 and got into high school and went, oh, girls, classes, fun things. Golf just kind of, you know, yeah. and, you know, for me, it just kind of goes out the window and I, you're just kind of there. But, you know, you reconnect with the game and each person loves the game for a different reason. Each each person, you know, has their, you know, I love for me, I love that it's different every time you go play the pins are different the course is different the conditions are different the weather's different there's no you know i feel like with some other sports basketball swimming tennis you can get really complacent and well not complacent but it's just you're doing the same thing over and over again you're doing the same drills and you know for us as golfers i'm sure you you as a coach can attest to this how many times do you give the same drill to a player because it just gets lost on them? I mean, there are these set fundamentals that we have to have in order to be good golfers, but then each player is so fiercely individual that, you know, that's why certain people gel in four balls better than others. They're, you know, these, these traits of what make us golfers are so fiercely unique that you can't just fit them into a mold. I'll do well in four balls. I suck at four balls because you know, because I think of, the mindset for me is that you know, I've gotten better. There's certain times that I'm fine, but it's like all of a sudden you're now relying on somebody, and that doesn't maybe make your focus as strong, or it makes you just feel a little bit like it's okay. He'll bail me out, right? You know, I, I think I'd play better if I just went first. Maybe had a game against my partner. I feel like that would that would be better. But I did want to touch on what you said a minute ago about the greediness. Like fight it out. I remember Emily Klein was the coach at San Diego State women's team. She uh, she told me a story. She had gone to recruit a specific girl, and it was pouring rain. And the girl she was watching just was kind of like blah. Her attitude was bad. Frustrated with her conditions and not really trying that hard. And her score reflected it. And then another girl in the group was like fist pumping for doubles and like just. Brian just had the right energy for what 
I mean, any coach, like, I just want somebody that's going to try their best, put it all out there. Uh, this girl did it, and she's the one that ended up getting a scholarship. Wow. But the coach just liked that attitude so much, and I think that's so important. You know, people try to, like, make themselves maybe look perfect or maybe, like, try to fake who they are as a, as a player and as a person. It's like, man, if you just work hard, you know, come from a good family and you're, you're all just trying to get better and love the game, I mean, what coach wouldn't want somebody like that? That's right, absolutely. And I think that goes back to just the love of the sport. And it's, it's one of those where we, we can love the sport. It doesn't mean we have to be good at it. But we love the sport so much that it matters that much to us. And it's, you know, it is. It, it really shows, you know, especially when you're talking about dynamics on a golf course. I remember I used to piss off my teammates because I would fist pump like right in front of them during qualifying. And it is. It's like, you know, you get up in each other's faces. And collegiate golf is an, is an interesting, interesting sport and dynamic because it's the only sport in the world where you go from as an individual competing against your teammates during qualifying to then turning around a day later and playing with them and fighting for them. And it's this dynamic of, you know, am I really going to fist pump and make a scene in front of you on the 17th green when I've hold like a 40 footer for birdie to knock you out out. and you're out now. And it's like, but then it's, you turn right around the very next day, and if that coach got in as an individual, if that player got in, you know, like as an individual pick, you got to go room with them in the hotel, right, right. and you're and you're sitting there like, oh no, I just I can't believe I did that in front of you. But you know, we all have our our you know, like our emotions when it comes to golf. We all it's such a serious and yet lighthearted expense at the same time, and I think you know. I don't know how you play tournaments or you play, but for me, I always find I play my best tournament golf when I'm 100% focused all the time. So I know people like Justin Thomas go zero to 100. So they'll they'll get super focused in, he'll hit his tee shot, and he'll go to zero. Yeah. He won't talk, he won't think about golf. He won't do anything. He'll get his caddy to, to joke with him about just about anything. Right. And it's, you know, for me, I can't do that because I feel like I'm way too in and out of focus um you know do you have any insight into what i'm the exact opposite of you okay i'm more like like that i, I would be i play my best if I'm, I'm in it when it's my turn to hit maybe the last 10 seconds walking up my ball i refocus um but the way my brain works i i like to have a lot going on so uh, i think like an honor storm sam's book she calls it going on vacation in between shots mm-hmm. always taught my students that i mean some students i feel like they just want to be so focused for five hours and some of them can do that um but again like play your best i feel like you have to have a still a lighthearted approach to the actual round that you're playing and not hey, every shot can't be the nine iron to win the master you know, gotta have a routine yeah well yeah and that it's like oh yeah. i sucked for that shot like yeah. it's okay yeah. you just yeah you hit a couple bad ones so it's okay and Know your short game there to help you and uh, your attitude and patience. It's it's hard when you're 100 percent in and then one bad thing happens. How do you how do you react to that? Right. That, especially with with players and students, teenagers especially. That first reaction to a bad shot is so important for the day. And like sometimes 
you know, I, I heard uh, negative stories about that, but how do you react to it? Everything. Right. Right. And it's, you know, and Tiger would always say, you know, I, I let myself react to it and then it's gone. Yeah. I don't think about it ever again. Right. It's, it's shelved. It's gone. Like I've had my burst and then I'm done. And it, and it is, it's like so many times I, you know, and one of the, I guess one of the best parts about being a, a marshal and working FCG tournaments is you get to see the next generation of golfers coming through and, you know, you observe quietly and, you know, I've learned so much more about my game now, even just watching other people play and talented juniors play because, you know, I might get into a spot where I'm like, wait, why would you miss there? And I'm like, oh, wait, I miss there. I got to stop missing there now. But one of the things that I think profoundly has impacted me the most is watching kids throw away good rounds because they've let something get to them, you know, whether it be conditions of the day, there's a 30 mile an hour wind. They sit there and they grumble about the wind all day. And when you sit there and you grumble, it's like, yes, I know the wind's there, but how is that helping you in any way? And, you know, my, my old college coach, I always, always used to say, he was like, Connor, if you can, if you have the right mindset, when you step on the first tee, you've already beaten half the field because if it's, and this is particularly in particular when the conditions of the day aren't great, you know, if it's raining, if it's blowing 20, you know, half the field is going to get upset and they're going to throw themselves out of the tournament. And so if you go into that tournament thinking, okay, everybody has to play the same conditions, you know, I've prepped for this, which is the hope that you've played in enough wind or enough rain where you can adjust and make it work. But even if you can't, if you're able to have that positive mindset of, you know what, I'm going to go try and throw up a score today. You know, I'm going to go see how good my two iron stinger is off the tee. And you know, if you have that mindset, and I've seen it time and time again, where those with those positive mindsets moving into that tournament, you know, if it's adverse conditions, they are going to be the ones that pull through and are going to be the ones that always place it in the top half of the field. And those that choose not to and choose to grumble and moan, which is natural, we're, we're human. Yeah. But those that choose to take that route of that grumbling and that moaning are never going to succeed when it comes to crunch time because they just don't have that attitude of, I'm going to go out and win today. It's, uh, I, I, I hate playing in wind. I hate it's playing so, in wind. It's so easy to make excuses for, for play. You know, once you go down that cycle, if that becomes part of your DNA, let's say, like, you're always going to find something to say why you didn't play well. There should be no reason why you but you didn't play well or what you overcome that day. Yeah, it was windy today, but I figured it out today. You know? The greens weren't very good today. Okay, so I had to hit it a little harder, play a little less break, whatever it is. And, like, I overcame that. That's a much better way to handle anything like that. Because all these kids are so good. Like, There's so much talent. So the much amount of talent, talent I've seen in the SCG events and – you know, everywhere, you know, collegiate events, FCG events, Toyota Tours, all of the major golf tournaments, there's, golf is overloaded with talent, but it's, how do you harness that talent 
and you know i've never been the most like my parents and my grandma of course always said oh you're so talented it's like yes but how like how do you convert that into great golf because you know even i'm guilty now and then of making excuses oh if only i'd made that four footer well go practice your four footer it's like exactly and you know i guess another tangent i wanted to get off into was um you know coaching and then fitting as a part of that so you know i have a lot of experience as a club fitter and it is unfortunately a lot of the people i fit for clubs my only comment to them at the end is you just need to go get a lesson because there's no there's no there's no club i could give you that's going to magically make you hit straight i can optimize you where you're going to hit it straight 40 percent of the time instead of 20 right right and then on 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 the other end too it's difficult to coach a player who doesn't have optimized equipment either because you know my my ball speed's right around 110 and up until three or four months ago i had stiff shafts in all my clubs and you know for all you golf geeks under there that that's going to make a lot of sense but for those typically 110 is about an extra stiff range and you know it's it would it was really difficult to coach me because i had not optimized equipment i had equipment that was right off the rack or if you get it from a fit from a fitter who's not competent you know you can run into that problem of i have the wrong clubs and my coach is doing everything right and i'm swinging it great but i'm not optimized yet and so that's you know you kind of run into a problem there of on the one end you can have players who come in to get fit who aren't good enough and on the other hand you can have coaching where your clubs mean that you're not going to become the best player that you are and that is a you know that is always that big give and take for coaching in general and you know even even just golf it's just it's such a fickle sport isn't it i just but it's why we love it i think i think that's i I know that's why i love it is it's just it's so unpredictable and no matter what i do i I just always come back to it yeah it's just a new challenge every day every day you can see what's out there and new conditions and to see how your brain's going to handle how your attitude's going to handle oh that's brilliant so in your in all of i mean obviously you have up close to 20 years now over 20 years now of coaching um and all the players that you've taught what has separated the best of the best from let's say your average weekend or scratch golfer and then what has separated them out from those who have gone on to be very successful in golf i mean i think attitude i think the ability to execute shots under pressure and not it be a big deal is you can make you can have the shot and the ability and not have the belief to actually do it right so you know some of my best players no matter what's going on they can hit three iron 20 feet when they need to and they can hit the shots that are required to do so and then when it comes to work ethic i mean i've had some very talented players that didn't work very hard that were really really just absolutely good at playing golf and you know how to do it and you know players that just outwork everybody and uh, because of that hard work they're going to see 
kind of let their mental side develop do that sort of thing. So, um, but you got to be so mentally strong in this game. You have to be super confident. You have to be very positive. Uh, yeah, you got to put in the work and you know, and assume that you're you know kind of destined for greatness. It doesn't just happen. You know, Justin Thomas said, trying to be the best in the world since he was young. You know, and here he is. You know, he's the best in the world. So, uh, I think that kind of attitude. Well, I think a lot of kids too don't realize how good they are. You know, that's that's frustrating to see somebody who's like really good, but maybe not getting the results yet. It's a self belief thing, or maybe it's um, yeah, just don't trust what they're really doing out there. But like I said, like we talked about a minute ago, there's more good kids in golf right now than ever. They're, they're so talented at a young age. I remember talking to. Tim Mickelson years ago when he was the ASU coach, and he told me he didn't break far until he was 17. Um, these kids, some of these kids are shooting 10, 20 under for three, four rounds, and uh, at age 12, you know, mm -hmm. the mental capacity to be able to do that is incredible. Yeah. So I guess my next question is kind of a follow on to that is, you know, when you talk about players who, you know, might have that mental block or might have that execution problem, how do you overcome? something like that where you know i was kind of the same way where i didn't break par until i was i want to say 14 and i was playing off a handicap at eight and i had this miraculously good round mm -hmm. and broke par and then was promptly terrible for the next, next year four years yeah. and didn't you know and, and didn't get down to scratch until i was 18 or 19 you know for those for those experiencing that mental block or might not you know because obviously work ethic you can fix Right, like work ethic, you just work harder. It's you know, it, always it sounds right. It sounds stupid because obviously you have to you have to work on the right things, but then it's on the mental side and on that execution side. Where do you see that? Like, where do you see the click? Like, what what makes that click for a player for you? Well, I mean, I think especially too. Like, I'll give you a story of Sahit Tagala, who's on the PJ tour right now. He's Top 30 player this year, played in the Tour Championship. He grew up in our tour from age eight years old. I think I met him. Uh, but he, when he was like 14, he was playing our event at Menifee uh, Lakes. And I remember his dad came up and he's like, What do I do? He's been, been struggling for like six months. He doesn't break par anymore. He used to shoot under par every day. And I said, Well, why don't you just we go back to your home course and play the Red Tees every day until he gets the confidence back? Just, just score from the Reds and just make. You know, golf will be a little bit easier, shorter. He'll expose his short game a little bit more, and it'll make his brain just more focused on making birdies a lot instead of maybe maybe he's just trying not to make bogey, and he's not in the right uh, mental space there. So he goes back and he does that, and he did it for like two weeks, and he's shooting ridiculously low rounds, and then he won everything that year. And his dad still texts me every once in a while to say, "Hey, thank you for watching." stuff like that i think i tell all my students that especially if your low round isn't isn't that low say your low round 76 on the blues and you're always playing the blues here of course like go play the reds until you shoot 65 and then go maybe back to the whites change your perspective on what it is you're doing so, so you can see it you know i had a student john texera years ago who ended up playing for usc he came in at age 12 one day for a lesson he's like hey coach i shot 69 yesterday he was all excited and i was like Okay, that's cool. And then he's like, "Aren't you excited?" And I was like, "Well, let's break it down, right? Like, you're, you're the tall twelve year old. You hit a two eighty already. 
you're hitting chip shots in the par fours and you're you're hitting every par five and two with irons. Right. So really you're one over par if there's four par fives that are reachable, par sixty eight, so you shot one over yesterday. It's like you know, gives me one of those looks. And we we completed the lesson, but then the next day I get a text. Uh he shot sixty three with a hole in one. And it's like just things like that. And then I had a story, you know, years ago that I played this uh, Oldsmobile scramble at Bear Creek. A very hard golf course. Oh, I hate that golf course. <laughs> I do not like Maybe. that golf course. It's fun though. Oh, it is. It's it's atrocious. It's so much fun, but it is atrociously notorious for, for lack of a better word, you know, just not being very nice to scratch golfers. Oh yeah. Very quickly. I did uh I did that for our for like a Cal Open qualifier one year and just racked up the score because it, it is. It is one of those courses where it can just get you. It was but I played that, that tournament and it was a ultimate four man scramble and we shot fifty eight or something won the tournament but I don't know crazy stuff. And we're having lunch afterwards and the guy's like, You're like Chris, you really hit almost all the shots. There was a couple shots like somebody made a par putt or somebody made a, a ten foot or birdie or whatever, but like I hit so many like really good shots and I thought about that on my hour drive home that day and I was like, you know, if I applied that to my regular round, that mindset that it's okay to miss, like there's probably got like people there, it's okay to like have one bad shot, but save it with your short game. It just just changed me a little bit. And the next like two days later I shot sixty three at Carmel Mountain Ranch, first record at the time. And wouldn't have happened had I not played that scramble. No way I would train that Right. And so I think too, when you're in your head, like everybody has like a comfort zone number or a a, a score that they're mentally okay with, right? Like if 75 is you don't want to shoot over 75, so you're okay with 71, but you're playing good enough to shoot 65, but you're okay with one under, so you're kind of like tiptoeing around and trying to play it safe, you're not really letting your great swing show up. How are you going to get better? You're, you're already there. You're just not letting yourself kind of do it. So I think red tees. I also think when it comes to tournament play, I think a lot of kids try to climb the ladder a little too quick. Maybe they get one win, so they think they're ready to go play on the Corn Ferry Tour. You know, like win a lot, win at the level you're at a lot, and then step it up to the next level. So I want to see kids win more tournaments at a lower level before they they jump up to get so much just crazy confidence that you know when you show up to the tournament that you're like, man, I don't see that anymore. Or always kind of maybe go a little, a little too quick. Yeah. Just a couple ideas on maybe how to get better in strategy and that. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think, you know, I, I kind of ran into that I kind of ran into that mental block too where it was like you know, in Australia it was everything revolved around handicap. It was basically, it was how good you were. It, it, it was a measure of who you were as a golfer. And so you were basically fighting to, you know, make that handicap every round. And then if you got below it, you're like, ah, and you would freak out. And I'd, I'd make double on the last and I'd go back to my handicap. And be like, oh, no. But, you know, over here, I don't even keep a handicap anymore because I don't find it helpful. I, I mean, other than, of course, maybe applying for a tournament, but they they can go look it. I mean, like, they can go look at my college record. And be like, yeah, he's probably good enough. That's fine. But for me, it's like, and we do. We as golfers get caught up in numbers. And, you know, my 
one of my worst and best stories of tournament playing golf is, you know, we're out at Arizona at, uh, I think it's called Palm Valley. It's the Phil, the Phil Mickelson course out there. And, you know, I was solo leading the tournament after I was like nine under through 24, having myself a time. And I had one bad hole where I hit it right down the middle of the fairway and got buried in a divot, made double, kind of shook me a little bit. Still was leading after the two days, though, or the, the first day for, for 36 holes. And the difference in my mindset between the first day and the second day was staggering. The first day, I was laser focused, and I all I wanted to do was go out and, and hit good golf shots. That was my only plan for the entire day. And things changed. And then I got the lead. And my second day, I was like, I have to win. I got to win. I have to win my first college tournament ever. Yeah. And, but that was the only thought going through my head. And I put so much pressure on myself. Like, it's, it's one thing, and, and I've done... I've done, trust me, I've done about two years worth of reflection after this <laughs> tournament because that's how you much it, because that's how much it meant it. to me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I did so much reflection and it's, it's great to have the mindset of I'm going to win, but it's another thing to go out and execute and okay, that's great. And all the kids tell me on the first year, like, Connor, I've got to, I'm going to win today. It's like, okay, okay. I'm Yes. But how? And that's, that's the big what if in golf is, you know, I got so caught up in the end result that I didn't see the 10, 20, 65 shots potentially that were going to make that happen. It was just, oh, I'm just at the end of the day, I'm going to lift a trophy. It's like, you're an idiot. How, <laughs> how are you going to do that when there's no, there's no step-by-step execution of that i think well, that's some people say like i just want to part of the last five you can't just say i just want to part of the last five you got a 450 yard part four with the lake on the left right that's easier said than done you you gotta right like you could do. definitely slice one ob here like right. there's no and that is and it's you know and and then it, and then comes in that thought process of okay instead of just parting the last five with, with the lake down the left what shot do I have to hit in order to put myself into a good position to get onto the green to then give myself a chance for birdie, and then I might call it. And it's, that's where that end result versus that step-by-step you know, process of achieving my goal. And I think that's, that, was, that tournament was life-changing for me yeah. because you know, it took me from a place of, it, it gave me the confidence of like, yeah, I can be 900 through 24, or I can be 500 through 9. Like, that's no big deal anymore. But it was, on top of that, it was, what mental thought process do I have to execute in order to get me there? And it's, you know, and I think, for me, even just getting better at tournament play is just, just playing. And, you know, even, I still find myself a little rusty out of college because I'm like, I don't play it enough. Like I'll play in the FCG collegiate series and I'll play, you know, I'll play in, in the Cal open qualifiers and the San Diego am and, you know, but it's these big, you know, you know, like the USAM calls that type of thing, but it's the more you play in these events. And obviously, you know, you have to draw a line in high school too, because you, you obviously, you, you have your studies, you have your friends, you have your family and you have golf and you have to balance all of these things in order to 
have a, a well-rounded experience in the golf career. And I think where a lot of parents in particular get led astray is, you know, it is, it's all about golf. It's, yeah. you know, you are the next Tiger Woods. Like you're going to, you're going to go all the way. And it's like, at the end of the day, kids are going to be kids. And my parents were fantastic with me. And they were like, Connor, we'll take you to the driving range. If you ever want to go, if you want to go play golf, we'll take you. Otherwise, your life is yours to live. And we respect that. And that for me was incredible and growing as a person. Cause obviously, you know, you have the same thing. You have family, a daughter, you know, we have other priorities outside of just golf and, you know, and even getting caught up in high school, like recruiting, everybody's end goal is to get recruited. And again, you come back to that end goal versus that process. Right. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. working hard the parents it's as, it's his big breath of fresh air. Right. And that's just the beginning. That's the, that's the start of the whole journey, really, even though you've done 10 years of work. Whatever. Right. Like, I worked I worked 18 years to go play D1. Yeah. And, and it's, then they decide to get well-rounded. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, oh, I can, I can go to parties now. Yeah. And then their golf goes, wee, and it just goes right down the drain. So, I mean, you know, a lot of my advice to high school golfers is, Yes, getting recruited is important. And if that's where you want to, if that's what you want to do, that's fantastic. But it's, you know, you still have to take a step back and look at the grand scheme of things, which is I'm still a person at the end of the day and golf is not my entire life. If it is, good for you. It's a little sad, but I was there once. And it's, you know, but it is, it's that growing, not only as a golfer, but as a person, I think that's, you know, golf has made me make more connections than any other thing I've ever done in my entire life. And it's, and you make friends for life. Like you shared interests. Like I know a couple of girls I've dated who have played golf. It is, it's like, it's something you can share with loved ones. And, you know, it really does make for, you know, a lot of good memories for, for everybody. Um, but kind of circling back to, high school recruiting um i know a lot of my players kind of get caught up in that stress and that pressure of well our players um get caught up in that stress and that pressure of i have to get recruited and they let these intrusive thoughts kind of sneak into their minds about and they suffer at tournaments and they their scores don't reflect what their talent level is what would you say to those kids who you know are just you know have that mindset and are kind of struggling when it comes to tournament scores how do you get over that mind kind of goes back to what you just said about being well-rounded best players are well-rounded and they have other activities they do i've had students that you know were, were peaking and getting better and they were so focused on their golf that i had them had them do other sports I had them that they loved basketball a few years ago but they they stop playing to play golf. I'm like, why don't you go play golf or play basketball with your buddies? Just like bring some of the joy back and other things. I think if you you put so much effort into one thing, it's like your grades. Put all your work into your grades. How are you going to be good at all of them? Is that quote or whatever? You can only be good at two out of three things. You know, like something's got to give a little bit. And I think if you take a step back and maybe push your goal back a little bit more, 
maybe be open to other colleges too. Maybe not just focus on whatever your top school is and like, like okay, well, there's other opportunities over here, right? And then the other part, like with, with colleges too, is when you go to school, you want to go to school you're going to play for right away. Too many kids are going to these schools that are they're the number eight or nine player on the team. And after a few months or a year of being eight or nine, not very motivated. You know, and you're not going to get much support from the school and the team in that regard anyway. So I think, I think just finding, you know, what makes you happy through golf, comes back to that too. You know, love the game so much that you go play in tournaments, you play in the national championship in December, and you, you're excited to be there. You're calm. If you've done all the work, you're prepared. Like, prepare better and let your game just show up instead of try to force it, try to, College coaches know that you're going to have bad tournaments. They'll expect you to play. Like, I know I've talked to so many coaches where they love seeing a player who, man, he's down here, but after six, eight months, you just see the scores trending. You're going to have a pullback. You're going to have a round that you don't play that good, but then look right back up there. I think that, you know, players trying to, you know, withdraw from events because it's not going their way that day. That's yeah. the last thing out. that coaches want to see, though. Ever. They hate that. Coaches hate to see withdrawals because they having a tough day. Like, learn how to stick it out. I mean, if you shoot 85 the first day and shoot 70 the second day, that looks so good to a college coach. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Can't stress enough how, how cool it is to shoot 15 shots better. It's an incredible mindset. Yeah, and it is. And it, it, I mean, not to get into the whole golf and live, but you saw the guy on live shoot the worst score ever in like live history shot like 87 i think and then the next day he, he, he turned up and shot 63 and you're like what 22 like 24 shots like you're averaging one at least one shot better per hole and that's it's one of those where where it is it comes back to that mindset and i think you know i know for me personally growing up through high school i never Obviously, I'm in a little. I was in a little different circumstance, everybody. But I know when I got back over here, my mindset geared, and I just went, "I want to go play D1." And so my my method for doing that was emailing every D1 college coach in California, and you know, I had a couple get back to me, and I had one come out and watch, and it was at a it was at the Vineyard in Escondido, and um uh, it was a it was a junior worlds qualifier the img junior worlds qualifier and i just remember i was so nervous so nervous i i think i threw up the morning of you know just because i'd never had this pressure of oh if i do well i might i might go play you know d1 college golf and you know, first hole at the vineyard is like a 350 yard uphill par four, super straight, nothing too serious going on. I, I hit a good drive. I was shaking on the first tee, but I did hit a good drive. And I frankly, uh, I chunked a wedge and then made like double. And this, this coach is just over on the sideline and I'm just sitting there and I'm, and long story short, I played so bad for the nine holes. He felt, he felt, he felt that bad that he ended up walking off yeah. and went home and it's hard because you're like like have i really just thrown my one 
decent yeah. shot away at playing D1 golf. And, you know, I was seven over through nine. I was out of the qualifier by a long way. And that's where that mental thought of, you know, I'm so mad and I'm so frustrated. Like, I'm going to go show this course, like, what I'm made of. And I turn onto the back nine and just got this fire in me and shot five under coming in. Nice. And the coach called me that, that night. And he said, I'm going to recruit you for your back nine, not your front nine. Oh, that's nice. And he offered me a scholarship on the spot. Oh, oh, and, wow. and I committed and I went. And it, it is one of those feel-good stories. It's not really a feel-good story, but it is. Cool. It really, absolutely. But it, it is one of those where, you know, sometimes we get lost in. And I did. For that first nine holes, I got lost in that thought process of, oh, if I do well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play D1. Well, it's like, yeah, but you play terrible. Because you weren't thinking about golf. You were oh, thinking about exactly. the end result. Right. Outcome. And that's, and that's, I continue, like, I will always tell my players this. It's like, you can never focus on the outcome. It's like, you can have this vision of, of where you want to be. That's fantastic. Like, like, whether you want to be on the tour, whether you want to be a coach, you know, whether you want to be just a PJ tour club pro, like every person has their own goals in golf. And that's fantastic. But it is, you know, even, even when it comes to the round, like I'm playing the farms on Friday and I have a goal that I want to beat. you know, I made my collegiate debut out there and played with the worst golf in my life. And it's, I do, I have that goal of, I want to play better than all three of my rounds. I want to beat each of my other rounds by at least 10 shots, but it's, how do you do that? And it is, you know, us as golfers, we love getting lost and, oh, if I, I could shoot a 63 today or I could, I could break the course record. I mean, Tiger always says, you know, as a junior, they wouldn't let him change his shoes in, in the clubhouse because of their policies. And he was quoted as saying, all I cared about was where's the first tee and what's the course record. And it's like, that is a fantastic mindset to have. But he also went through the motions and went, you know, what do I have to do in order to accomplish my goals? And it's, I didn't have anything that, that front nine, I had nothing yeah. nothing lined up to accomplish those goals i had nothing lined up i was i was loopy all over the place airy fairy on the first tee oh i have a d1 coach watching me it's so cool exactly and you shoot seven over through nine it's like congrats you now look like an idiot and i did i I know and it but Exactly. But, and, and it is one of those where it's like, you know, if I didn't have my head so far up my own ass, I could have actually might've done something productive and maybe broken a course record that day. Cause I know, you know, all of us, and that's, that's a, that's a testament to how stacked and talented the golfing is, is, mm-hmm. you know, I can do it. You can do it. Just about any of our golfers at FCG can do it. Yeah. Like that is, but it is one of those where, you have to go through the steps. And I think that for me as a golfer is the most important part where we want it to be, you know, I want, I want all of our kids and all of, I think golfers in general, they just have that step-by-step motion of how am I going to accomplish my goals? Yeah. I think I, I love that part of it. And I love, you know, I love watching our kids and even watching them grow. I mean, I've only been here a year, but even, you know, watching progress is fantastic. And sometimes progress backtracks. I got worse and it happens. And it's so frustrating because you can get caught up in, well, why aren't I getting better? And sometimes 
you really do, especially in golf, have to take a step backward in order to take a couple steps forward. Like for you as a coach, like what for you, I mean, obviously, you know, you told that story of uh, us a Heath, but what other players have you seen like really take a step back in order to really take that step forward? And I think what for you separated them from everybody else? I think just being able to share perspective with the students, let them know that how hard golf is, that it's not a, you're going to play good every day, and you're going to have days of struggle and periods. And as Seahawks, for example, who's an amazing player, he, he, when he first started high school golf, he was terrible. There was an adjustment period, right? And then when he started at San Diego State, kind of played pretty bad for a while. But then he just kept getting better and kept sticking to the fundamentals. And I would have, I'd, a lot of times have to pull them back to what those fundamentals were and what those thoughts that you're thinking about. Because you're always looking for the next thing to think about that's going to help you play better, right? But a lot of times it's just getting back to making it so simple that you can actually go play and score. You want to say that some little tip made it, made you this great player. But it's really, it's just doing the same thing over and over again that works and that you trust. You know, you don't switch your putting routine because you see some kid make putts one day, like you're a really good putter, stick with what. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, e- even watching, so last week we were at Twin Oaks and, you know, I had a kid change putters in between rounds. Yeah. And it's like, how do you expect to even putt well if you're, you know, changing out equipment in between rounds? Like, obviously, you know, a lot of the tour pros will oh, change. Exactly. No, it did not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I wish it did because I'm playing golf with them next Friday, so I have to I have to watch what what I'm saying. But um, you know, it is one of those because obviously PGA Tour pros will have you know three or four different grinds on their wedges. Sure. You know, and they'll have retro spec and power spec. You know, trying to manage the course i mean obviously you know everybody likes the low lofted bounces for st andrews or really firm conditions and everybody likes really forgiving bounces for soft conditions but it's you know if we don't have access to that as players how do you adapt on the fly and i think that that is what kind of separates in my experience like a really good tournament golfer to a you know an average or a good tournament golfer because i think you know, being able to see a golf course, because obviously in college you get one practice round, you get the whole course laid out in front of you, and you have 18 holes to figure it out. And, you know, whether you take notes, and the greens are always slower because you know they're going to cut and roll them and they're going to brutalize you the next day. And it's... Oh, man, I shot 63. Like, everybody, most of my college teammates were always would always try to put up a score during the right. practice round and it's like wh- why like it doesn't count like you, you you've now set yourself an unrealistic a realistic goal but also an unrealistic goal because if all the pins are, are in the middle none of the slopes were played you played the front tees and the greens were running a nine instead of a 13 it's like well congrats i guess but it's you know how do you take advantage and obviously for our a lot of our players for FCGs, they don't have that option to, you know, scout the course prior because they have their lives and they're in high school. It's hard right. 
you know, it's hard to commit to it. Fully prepared for everyone. Right. You know, I was talking to a mom last week and her take was we look on Google earth, you know, before each tournament, you know, we try to get a feel for contouring and lines and where we're going to try to hit it. But it is, it's like, it is one of those where, you know, you or I could go play twin Oaks or Palo Mesa and be, completely okay because we've played it 20 times but the kid who is coming in from la or irvine how do they how do they get that on the fly during the round because obviously you know and that's where you see this big separation in first round score and second round scores you know right exactly and i mean you know but for you how do you approach a course for say the first time and then what do you think are some good strategies like moving forward for first time seeing a course, having to think on the fly? Like, how do you dissect a course for the first time? Yeah, I mean, uh, so going to play it, right? I want to see how the ball is reacting into the greens on approach shots with full swing clubs, with wedges. Is the ball spinning? Is the ball bouncing? Uh, can't always get it exactly because, like I said, they might double cut and roll on the next day. Uh, but to get a general feel, uh, get a general feel for what the bunkers are like, how the sand is, make any kind of adjustments to how you're going to approach those shots, chipping, all spinning when it's coming out, is it Kuyu grass where it's much stickier and you realize you can't bump it into the Kuyu grass and it just kills it, like little things like that. And then, yeah, sight lines, what club do you want to hit off the tee? Is the fairway bigger if I lay back? Bigger if I hit it further down there? Figure out which clubs you want to use there. And then just come up with a general strategy for how you kind of exactly want to play the course. And then you always can can change your strategy. You learn something or you see somebody else do something that makes sense to you. Um, but then, you know, at the end of the day, you got to trust yourself as a player the most to do with what you believe is the best strategy at that exact moment in time um, and then execute. Like, uh, yeah, other course conditions, I'm uh, are the fairways wet, you know, are they super tight, um, well, sitting up in the rough, there's always sit down, and how does it react out of that, all grasses are a little bit different, how that reacts, so, um, just getting that, and then putting speed, figuring out how they're, how they're rolling, and to me, I always, I always teach my students this, even when we walk on the green at stadium, like, you see the green, it's over there, whatever, 50 feet away, we're getting closer to it, what does it look like now, does it look fast, does it look slow, like already start to feel what you're about to do. Then as soon as I walk on the green, because I've walked on so many greens now in my life, I have a general sense of how soft or firm they are. And then I can relate to a previous round, maybe the last week. Um, and then I'll hit my first putt. I'll usually do like a 15 or 20 footer. That's general average. bunch of putts I think I'm gonna have that day, right? I wanna hit that putt. I'm hoping to hit it perfect pace. Now, if I'm a little short or a little long, I already have a, like a little bit of knowledge now or a little bit of info of how the day might go based on my first perception of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Based on so then I try to get calibrated as best I can on uphill and downhill putts, breaking putts, try to see that, see if they break more than they look to my eye or less than they, they break to my eye. Then I have a pretty good sense of how to play. And then the first day of the tournament, those first couple, first five holes, I'm getting as much information as possible, and I'm going to try not to judge myself too much. If I hit a ball to a back flag and I skip a wedge in there and it 
hits and bounces over the green, but I hit a really good shot. I just hit the wrong shot. I don't want to beat myself up over doing that. I want to adjust and say, okay, well, maybe later I need to look that shorter. But just stuff like that. Right. I'm, I'm exactly the same way. I am, I am getting as much information as I possibly can. Like, because, you know, especially, you know, you might play a tournament that's four hours away. You know, I think I played in a qualifier out in Camarillo or, you know, north, north L.A. And there's nothing, there's nothing I could have done to have a practice round. So, obviously, you, you do as much research as you can. You go on, you know, like you Google the website. You know, you have, like, a course tour. You do your best to get acclimated to it. And then I'm the exact same way as you. I, I go after as much information as I can. I never tee off first. I always let everybody else tee off first especially locals you know if if they've played and you know especially if they pull out three wood you probably shouldn't be pulling driver because if they're hitting three wood there's a very particular reason why they're hitting three oh, I wood. Have thought. if the hole's under 380 i ask why mm-hmm. every time <laughs> that's a out, good call out there because generally if it's under 400 or under 370 whatever or a blue tee golf course, something's up there. Something's going on. There's, there's <laughs> I don't pop, like it. <laughs> up there, there's some type of flag. The green sh- might have a huge slope that you need to hit a wedge into. You can't hit a pitch into, or something like that. Like so I always. And there's a lot. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's like a hidden creek bed at yeah, the right. Exactly. It's like that one girl that's like too cute for no reason. There is a red flag there. You just have to go find out what it is. But. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the same. Like, I go after as much information as I can. I go, you know, I let everybody tell first. If they're taking a different club than what they should be, you always ask why. Because you're allowed to ask. Obviously, the rules of golf are a little vague in that, you know, like regard of getting advice versus, you know, providing an overview of the course. But even just asking your playing partners, guys, like, what's going on here? Like, I've, I've done that a lot. I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm lost here. I don't know what's going on. Can you, can you guys fill me in like why is this whole 350 and it's a 90 degree dog leg like i don't know what's going on here what club what you know find out too. exactly for better or for worse be my answer. just kidding <laughs> yeah i know um but it is one of those where especially on the greens like you know uh, if if i'm if my brain's turned on you know like during a tournament i'm i'm clocking each individual shot not so much the shot itself but how it reacts yeah. on the green you know on the first hole you know i still remember like the first lot at temecula creek playing in like a cal open qualifier they they'd actually done their due diligence and double cut and rolled mm-hmm. which is not what i'm used to at all and it you know i watched two people hit in and just skip their balls off the back of the green when normally you would plug and rip it about 10 feet yeah. And it, it is, it's one of those where you, your brain has to rapidly adjust on the fly because you have this mental image of the golf course coming into the day. And when that mental image doesn't fit up to what's actually happening, you do, you have to really jump and fix it on the fly because... Best players adjust quick. Yeah. And they adjust correctly. Right. Yeah. Right. Like everybody, you know, beginners, when I watch them putt, they blow it way past the hole and then they're way short. Like, Good players will, you know, I do that game, I do a ladder game where I hit five, and I want to put past that ball, put past the next ball, put past the next ball. Get good at that. You're just going to be able to adjust really well. Right. So, 
Yeah, I think, I mean, especially putting too on the greens is on a new golf course, it's limiting those three putts where it's, you know, your iron play is going to remain pretty consistent. Obviously, you know, if you, you know, if you're, if you're a good player, you're, you know, you have a general idea of what your irons are doing. You know, if you're hitting greens, then, you know, what separates those is how do you, how quickly do you adjust? And then how fast are you acclimating to that change in green speed? You know, but yeah, I, I just, I love getting as much, I love information. That's just kind of who I am as a person, but I think that carries over into my golf game as well. I just, you know, I, I go after, you know, how is this person's chip coming out of the rough? Is it coming out dead spin, overspin, really spinny? You know, where are these pins at? What are these green, even, even, even something as silly as like, what are the greenskeepers tendencies? Like, like where, where are they liking putting the pins and what do I have to look out for? And even, you know, even you talk about, you know, like something as easy as leaving the ball underneath the hole. Right. It's, it's one of those things that we all take for granted and then you just never do. And you like can. Like sandpiper, a big tournament coming up in October. October at sandpiper, you cannot be above the flag on any hole. The whole role is to stay below the flag on every single shot. Right. And I tell everybody, if you are going to the tournament, go to the putting green, walk down the hill. As soon as you see the first part of the putting green, put a ball right there and hit a putt downhill. And that'll tell you everything you need to know about being above the flag. I, I I still remember the first time I played out there. It was not a fun fun time. It is wind gets up and you got to make adjustments on the fly. It really is. It is a test every part of it. It's actually easy to green if you play both flag sets on the green. It's just so hard. Looks like a beginner pretty quick there. Well, yeah, I mean, you know me. I I always kind of look like a beginner out there. I never really know what I'm doing. I just kind of make it up. But um. I guess another thing I wanted to kind of touch on was even just strategy on the course. You know, for me, I I always feel like my strategies or my the way I play a course, it can determine whether or not you, you know, shoot in the 60s or shoot in the 70s or shoot in the 80s. Sure. And it's one of those where, you know, and I, I see this week in and week out and it's, you know, people who on a 360 yard hole or 350, you know, they'll nuke driver and it's great. And you have a front tucked pin and they have a 40 yard flip wedge and it's downwind. And they, and they, and they don't think about it. Exactly. But for me, it's like, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big math guy, like chemical engineer by trade. You know, I love, I love that side of it. And it's for me, I love just playing percentages. And it's, you know, for me on a 340 yard hole, when it's barreling downwind, do I really want to, you know, obviously the most ideal circumstance is being able to hit it 340, yeah. but obviously not all of us have that ability. So then it's, you know, what do I know is about myself as a player? That's the best part of my game. And for me, it's somewhere between 82 yards to 110 and anywhere in that range, I'm lethal. And so it's, why am I, why am I hitting driver for the sake of hitting driver when I'm going to have a 30 yard flop shot? Exactly. And it's, 
Most people get bored out there. Exactly, I do too. But it, try something new. Like stick with what works. Right, and I mean it. Boring five iron out there. Exactly, and it. Right, of course, but it's you know, you hit the five iron, and all of a sudden you've got your favorite club in the bag. And I always ask all my players, I'm like, "What's your favorite club in the bag?" Like uh, every player I've caddied for, what's your favorite distance? And you have to well, I I don't say, I don't say you have to have it, and most people can't answer that. I can tell you safely, eighty three yards for me is like like you give me eighty three yards, I'm gonna put it within five feet almost on the bailey. Yeah, and for me that's like a nine tenth sandwich. So I'm like I'm there, but I'd much rather have one tenth. Yeah. So it's you know I think for all of our for all of our listeners and viewers, it is one of those things where you you want to have that. I would say go and find a favorite distance. If you don't have one already, yeah. go and Get find one. Go and find one. You know, like whether it be yeah, that. got to be short under 150. Right. Exactly. And, you know, like whether it is like that little three-quarter hold-off yeah. wedge or it's that, you know, that little punch knockdown, you know, you have to have something that you can just trust. Yeah. Practice it all the time so that it is your go-to shot that you Drive in the trees on a par four, chip it out to that yardage. Right. You don't always have to carve a four iron around a tree. You can chip it out to that range, get your wedge close, turn doubles into fives and pars, and you're playing fine. Right. Especially when you talk about how much golf is a game of inches. It is life-changing when you can turn those doubles into bogeys. Yeah. And it's, you know, because the more I, the more I, you know, play with pros and the more I, you know, read about them and re- and look into their stats. I lead a really sad life. I apologize. I do. I do do a lot of this, but it's they are able to manage their misses so well that they are able to turn those bogeys into pars because they do. They have that. You know, obviously, if you're you know, for me, like if you gave me a, a sixty yard shot, sure, I'd one in three put it to four feet, and then the other two might be twelve or 15 or 18 and it is it's one of those where you know you can struggle and not even struggle but if you're just talking pure percentages the odds of you making that four footer are at around 80 90 percent versus you making that 12 footer at 40 percent all because you had it within your control of saying i'm going to hit to my favorite yardage and then I'm going to give myself an 80 or 90% chance to put it to that 80 or, or 90% chance make versus you just whacking it out back into the fairway, not thinking about it. And then having that really awkward half flip wedge that you might not have practiced perfectly the week of because of your 47 yards instead of that 53 that you like, right? And it's, well, great. I can hit the 53 yard shot perfectly. Why didn't I give myself that? Well, because you weren't thinking. And it is, it's one of those where the pros are always so meticulous about that, where they have that, you know, they have that stock shot that they love to play. And anytime they get in trouble, they're like, oh, I'll just find me a yardage to that yardage yeah. and I'll take it from here. And they, you know, they make so many pars where the, the rest of us mere mortals would well, make even like that you know, bogey or double. Dustin Johnson started playing better 10 years ago or whatever it was. I went to the 2012 Ryder Cup, watched him bomb driver every hole, couldn't hit a green with a wedge. And then he got serious about it and started working on his numbers and his feeling different yardages. And all of a sudden, now, you know, one in the world. So, 
crazy how much put a little bit of effort in the right spots. Yeah, I think where for all of our juniors out there, where do you see the? Because obviously we have to work on every part of our game. Obviously, golf's golf is that way. It's if if you let one thing slip, everything else kind of tries to compensate for it. But then you're trying to work on it as much. What area do you find helps or saves golf rounds the most? Um, so one, I think your short game should be your complete foundation for your game. So all aspects should be cutting back the whole scoring part of the game. So if you don't hit it well, you can still kind of score it around. But uh, I think juniors probably don't practice lag cutting enough. I think lag cutting is extremely critical, especially as courses get harder and forced it is a back right flag and you have 200 yards and you hit a four into the middle of the green. You can't two putt from 35 feet. You just made bogey. Or you're going to have to force yourself to hit it closer to a flag that's stuck. And that shouldn't happen. If you watch golf on TV, the top players that are playing well, they're all lagging it to tap in range or it looks like it's going in the hole from almost any distance. And then, you know, depending on where you're at in your development, I mean, I got really good at three footers when I made 100 a day. Every day, my goals, wherever, when as soon as I got to the golf course, I wanted to get it done right away. I went to my 100 three footers and I could do all the other stuff I wanted to do or in practice sessions with the 100 three footers. And then, yeah, I mean, chipping and pitching the ball, you can get up and down, you're going to score. So you have to practice that. So I used to drive from Poway all the way to Singing Hills, which is 35 minutes to go use their short game area. Mm-hmm. And I would bounce around and go to other places too to get different grass types, different fields, different short-sided shots, 30-yard pitches, things like that. And as you get more proficient at that, you'll, you'll score better. But also, if you don't do the work, if you don't put in the time, you can still have great mechanics with chipping. But like I said, if you chip it to three feet, all day, or you chip it six feet, the guy or girl chipping at six feet is not making all those six footers. The guy or girl chipping at three feet probably make all those putts. So your score tremendously go down that sharp. Yeah. And I think that just comes back to just pure percentages too. I mean, it is just one of those things where, you know, we all get kind of caught up in this, oh, I missed that 10 footer. It's like, well, yeah, you're going to miss half of them. You can't. Right, and that's a PGA Tour pro, right? right? They're the best perfect of greens. the best on perfect, on perfect greens, and, you, and you're putting on a green that's just been punched two, right. two weeks ago. Right. Like, there's no way you can have that same expectation of, you know. I, I remember getting so frustrated the last tournament I played in. I, you know, I had 32 putts, and it was, but at the, as soon as I, as soon as I like looked at myself back in the mirror, I was like, you know, all the putts I missed were somewhere between 10 to 25 feet you know it's like that's okay like i made you well, know they I, look good you rolling good and they look like they're going it's right really a good putt. right happens, it's like so, you know, how you judge your putting i think matters too right a lot of people say oh i had I had five three putts today coach what, what, what am i doing wrong and then i'll ask them where the five three putts were from they had the sandpiper and they're above the hole 30 foot downhill sliding break big break putts you're out of position, but maybe if your approach shots were a little better and you had 20 feet uphill versus 20 feet downhill, you'd be playing a lot better. So there's always another way to look at it. I think that's why having a good coach and having perspective talk to a 
teenager who doesn't know everything yet about the game, like, will become sharper, to become more mature in your thinking, more patient in your results, and more, you know, focused on getting there. Yeah. I think that's kind of where, that was, that was, that was one of my big steps, was actually, you know, letting go of the fact that I wasn't going to make every 10, 20 footer. And especially as a junior, my, I used to average four, four greens around and I would have 24 pots, you know, and that, that would be kind of the way I played golf. It was stupid. It was, I would never recommend this, would never recommend this to anybody. I know. And it is. And, you know, part of that was coming back to the fitting part. I wasn't fit into my clubs properly. And so I was all over the shop. Because I was doing my best with clubs that weren't meant for me. But, you know, every golf can be, you know, like boiled down to, well, I could have hit that chip better or that putt better. And then it's, well, I could have hit that chip better or I could have hit the approach shot better. Add up. And I think one of the reasons why I both love and hate golf is, you know, we, we could hit three bad shots in a row on a par four. You could hit an atrocious drive nearly out of bounds you could pull hook your approach shot to 50 yards right of the green you could hit it to like 25 feet and then you can make a putt and you walk off with par and the same thing goes you can hit the straightest drive you can hit an approach shot to five feet and just be above the hill by accident slide it six feet by and three putt and you walk off with a five and you can watch your playing partner tra- traverse half the golf course in one hole and walk off with a score better than you and it is one of it is one of the most frustrating aspects of golf but also one of the best and i think that's and that's where this mindset comes back in where you can have this mindset of it's okay if i hit it like i watch players all the time just everywhere they come in like i come out shot like a 70 it's like how you played half the golf course before you were by the time you were through four holes like you saw all of the golf course by the time you've hit hole 12 exactly but it's those that are the fighters and it's you know sometimes and i do this myself i get caught up in perfect golf i get caught up in i have to hit every fairway i gotta hit every green i gotta give myself a lot of looks at birdie and it's like yeah that's that's a good goal to have but it's not realistic because you know you're gonna hit four shots like how many times have you seen john rom aim for that draw and hit that slight double cross and he just pulls it onto another planet. It's like it happens. We're 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 human inherently, and not every shot is going to be a good one. You know, I remember my one of my last junior tournaments was at Twin Oaks on eighteen, and you know I was down by one, and I three putted seventeen, and I was heated, and just launched this drive, and then put my three wood in the bunker, and I just remember being so inherently frustrated with myself, and I was like. Upon reflection now, I mean, it's taken me a lot of years to get over it because it was another tournament I just lost. But um, it was one of those where I had that mental thought process of, you know, percentage-wise, you had a gap of about 10 yards to get on the green. You were 250 yards out. Wind was into you. You were jacked on adrenaline, and you had a club that wasn't meant for you. Can you really be upset with the outcome? And it was like, nah, I made birdie and came second. It's like, golf is good. And it, 
and it is, but it's, I think me in particular, and a, a lot of our juniors too, can get caught up in just swing and making sure I put the perfect swing on everything. You know, my swing has to be perfect. And but the reality of the matter is you're going to get uphill lies. You're going to get downhill lies. And the only way you can get better at that is practice. Like you can't, like, that's one of, that's one of the areas that I struggle with still now to this day is because I don't really hop out on a golf course and go plonk myself down in a bunch of downhill lies and I'll just hit like 50 of those because you don't really hear about people doing it. You know, obviously yeah, more golf are busy. Exactly. I know. Oh my trying to play anywhere now is ridiculous. But even, you know, trying to practice all these variations of shots, you really just and that's where that improvisation and that you know that thinking on the fly kind of comes in because you might not get the chance to play or hit these ridiculous shots that you're gonna you might get in the middle of fairway i don't know if you i mean i'm sure you play in your country club but there ain't a flat lie out there like you hop in the fairway and you're you know the ball you're playing baseball half the time and it is one of those things where you really do have to think on the fly and just hope to goodness that you know what your mental execution and you know because obviously I'm sure you've done this too, but I've built up a mental memory of, you know, tens of thousands of my golf shots. And it's, you know, being able to pull from those. I only remember the good ones. <laughs> That's now that I like that. That's a good. Not true, but... Oh, I know. It's you try to treasure the good ones. I mean, I do remember my two, my two hole in ones, like the back of my head. I still remember that who I was playing with, the day it was, what club I hit, what what everything was doing. But I think that is a good mindset. But I even like my bad shots sometimes too to call back from, to just learn from. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think a lot of junior golfers could benefit from, you know, coming back after the round, your first round of the tournament, you might have shot an 80, you might have shot a 75, but everywhere in there, everywhere in that round is going to be good shots, okay shots, good shots, and great shots. And it's for me personally, I love I love running through that round at the end of the day and going, what shots did I hit well? What 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 was going well for me? And when I did hit a bad shot, why? And then how can I learn from that to get better? And it's, I don't know about you, but I, I really like that side of golf where I can, you know, I can really dissect my round after and go, okay, what fired well for me? What didn't, you know, can I do something different for the next time? In your experience, like, where do you find that sweet spot of reminiscing on the good shots, but then learning from the bad shots? Um, well, first, I was trying to say something positive about <laughs> every round they have. Uh, and then I definitely try to think about my rounds several hours after I've done them to let, kind of let it simmer down. Especially, I tell that to all the my students and their parents, if you're going to talk about it, talk about it way later. Talk about it right away. Uh, that's kind of the process. But, but, yeah, I mean, I'm always thinking about all the shots that I executed well and why, and then why I didn't execute those shots. So all my players have them fill out, a, they do a summary of every hole that they play when they play a tournament, 
Texas and it's all encompassing of how they felt over the ball and what type of outcome they had based on it. So like I said, I'm the same one that I used for March because March I played in this tournament. <clears throat> I played okay the first 18 holes. I had five probably completely blank uh, non-committed swings, but all of them were bad. Had a couple putting things. I tried to use a, a booklet to putt, which I never used before. Like strack line? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just I never practiced with the book before. So to use it all of a sudden in a tournament just doesn't make sense. So I was like, I too much info in my head and I just it didn't work out. So I stopped using it and then I put it. So I, just, I think I just I used that. So I took all these notes. I did it after the round. I woke up the next morning. I read the notes again to put it fresh in my head. Went and did my warm up routine to try to get more committed on the shots, do my pre shot routine, get out of that place where I'm in, in between thoughts. And I shot 65. Mm. just doing stuff like that to, to, to see why and also uh, just really get in tune with what it is you're doing out there versus anybody can give you their opinion right right we are well i mean even us too like we all we all have our opinions on golf and how how do we play it and how do we react to certain things but i love that that you know you, you make those notes and you know it's it's there fresh in your head where you're like you know and even setting yourself a tiny goal for that day just it could have been as easy as commit to all your shots yeah like something that. is one shot at a time as insanely simple yeah. as just just commit to your shots like I, I it's fine if it's the wrong one yeah like if you hit it and it doesn't work out yeah. that's fine but as long as you can commit, and that's where I find a lot of problem too, is, you know, I'll be like, well, do I try to gun an eight iron? Do I try to hit that little three quarter seven iron? And I'm still thinking about the other option as I'm over the ball. And it's like, no, you got it. You commit. And it's, you make that call where you're, you know, you have zero doubt in your head. Even if there's doubt in your heart, there has to be zero doubt in your head that you're going to execute the shot well, and it's going to do what you think it's going to do. But I really like that. I really like that thought process of just running through, you know, making sure that I have a distinct and clear idea of what I've done well, what, I, and what could be improved on. Cause obviously, you know, I'm sure I, I've, I've had a lot of good rounds where I've been like, or great rounds even where it's like, nah, eh, there's still shots out there. And, but that's, that's golf. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure Tiger's broken 20 course records and gone, mm, it could have been two shots better. But that's, you know, we always do the best we can with what we've got at the time. And, you know, I think part of that comes back to just being able to learn on the fly and going, even if it's not perfect, how do I make it better? And I think that's kind of a good start for, you know, getting better at playing tournaments and even just learning from them. Because obviously, you know, the more you play, the easier it's going to get. You know, I remember, you know, there's so many names that like come to mind, but it's just those that are able to play time, you know, week in and week out and put yourself in winning scenarios. Like the tournament a couple of weeks ago came down to a three-foot putt on the first playoff hole. And 
you know, I feel really bad because he missed that three-footer to continue that playoff. But the fact of the matter is, with proper reflection and proper, you know, thought process and execution, the next time he has that putt, he's going to make it. He's going to make it again and again and again. Because you have to fail. You're supposed to fail. You're supposed to fail. And it sucks because nobody likes failing. And I hate failing more than anybody else. It's, you know, I still feel bad, you know, like when I let down a parent or, you know, and I make the wrong ruling and I come back in and I might Google it that night. I'm like, oh, no. And it sucks, but you're never going to make that same mistake again. Like that's, that's where that learning process can come in and you can go, okay, great. I've seen it. Now, how do I not do it again? Or how do I keep doing this if it's a good thing? You know, I really hit this really nice low spinning chip that did exactly as I wanted to. How do I do that again? And, you know, how do I even small things like amending your practice session? Because it's like, I'm not sure for you, but I think one of my biggest pet peeves is people who don't practice with a purpose. And a lot of, a lot of people will just rock up to the driving range and we'll just go, I'm going to hit a bucket of balls. Okay. What are you trying to accomplish? Like, are you trying to, you trying to fix your, you know, your slight tug on your three wood that you had from the weekend? Because that's a very serious and proper goal to achieve. You know, I know for me currently, I'm trying to fix my path on my driver because it's I'm hitting too many cuts and not enough draws. You know, if I were to go to a driving range right now, it would be I would have that goal in mind, and I would carry that over through, through the rest of my clubs, where I'm like I have that subconscious desire to fix that path you know but a lot of the juniors and a lot of amateur golfers will just rock up to a driving range and will just go i'm just gonna hit balls it's like okay you've now you've now ran through 105 balls what did you accomplish well my back's loose the goals for every session right and i think that's that's where we can kind of get lost. Like, do you set yourself goals for each individual driving rate session or each? I mean, obviously. Yeah, I mean, if I was practicing, I would be. And I could do that. Set, should have five or at, least, at least one, like, major goal for every practice session. But there could be a series of three or four, like, strategic drills that they're doing. I have a kid right now. He's, he's trying to get his fade more dialed in with his with a short iron, so he's doing 25 balls a day with, with a seven iron, trying to make a cut, and sending me an update on the other 25. Yeah. Other stuff like that. Yeah. I really like that. I, I mean, just because I, I remember even growing up, I was just like, eh, I'm just going to go play golf. It's like, that's great. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm can't do it. I mean, it's hard every day to be right. perfect. Of course. Sometimes you got to be a kid. Sometimes you got to have right. fun. We used to do like one club challenges when we'd play, and we used to play holes backwards. Hit, oh, that's my favorite yeah, type of golf. Wedge off the tee and driver. And oh, yeah. Like Absolutely. That. My it's my favorite now. my favorite golf to this day is cross is cross country. Yeah. Just creating holes on the fly, yeah, and you're just that. you're just playing you're just playing the purest of golf. You know, there's no rules. You're just you're you know, like you're hitting over hundred foot tall pine trees and you you're banking on nobody being on the green right. if it's a blind shot so you don't kill anybody on accident. You know, it is one of those you know, golf is still meant to be fun. You know, it is you know, it is a very fun sport. It's frustrating and it's 
you know, it is, it can get to us at times, but at the end of the day, it is meant to be fun. And it's, you know, where do you find that joy, you know, especially during tournament golf too, where do you find that joy? Where do you find that, you know, passion and love and, you know, what makes you love golf? And I think, you know, definitely tournament wise, junior wise, it, it really is. Cause all, I, th- I feel like what we're trying to do here as a company is, you know, nurture that love for the sport. Yeah. And it's, you know, putting staff in front of you that care just as much about the game as Very you good. do. We, you know, all of us are either ex-collegiate players, current collegiate players, or soon to be collegiate players. And it is, you know, we all have that shared passion for the game in one way or another. And it's, you know, helping helping juniors achieve their goals in golf, whatever that might be. But I feel like, you know, if we can be here as guides, you know, even obviously I I never had a great, you know, like relationship with any of the marshals at any of the tournaments I ever played in. But, you know, if we can be a positive influence for those people growing up and, you know, nurture their love for the game, because, I mean, I gave it up and have – a lot of regrets about it and i feel like you know if i had a good support group around me at the time i feel like i still would have you know i, I might have dialed back a little bit but i think i might have still played and you know kind of not set myself back a couple sure. of years and a progression wise but i feel like you know the recording end and the you know trying to help the best we can to help juniors achieve their goals is kind of our end goal here futures so we're doing it keep it up let's keep it up definitely doing it all right well um that's all of us here for this week at futures <laughs> uh we'll go ahead and plan to see you guys next week it was a great time with you chris yeah, as always fun. definitely yeah. fun and we'll definitely do it again hopefully we'll start pulling on some guests here and <laughs> go ahead and pick their brains about golf yeah. here too thanks for watching yeah pleasure see you next time